agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland Area Attorney Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, happy how are you New doing? Year. Yeah, happy New Year to you, too. So, no, I'm, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm uh, doing well, and usually I, I say something uh, silly or funny, but I, I, I think in, in all seriousness, uh, with the dawning of a new year, I feel uh, grateful uh, for uh, for so many things that that went right uh, in the last year, despite everything that went wrong. Um, and and I hope that you and our most of our listeners feel the same, right? That we can take away some some gratitude that that it's over and we made it, uh, and uh, uh, we're we're moving forward into a better world, hopefully. So. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I certainly feel I certainly feel that way, especially given what the, I think will be happening on. I, I'm pretty sure will be happening on January 20th, but more on that later. Uh, but before we do get to that, we want to thank our newest supporters: Susanna, Scott, Catherine, David. Victor, William, and also Wayne, who increased his pledge of support. That means an awful lot to us. We really do appreciate it. And of course, as a Patreon supporter, you don't only just get that second full-length episode every week. You also get ad-free versions of all of our shows, as well as other things at different levels of support. And to check it all out, just go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. And of course, if you would like to hear our weekly bonus show, but you're in a position where you can't afford to support the show financially right now, totally not a problem. Just send me an email, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will get you all set up. And if a monthly pledge is too much of a commitment, or you just have a thing about Patreon, which some people do. We also have a PayPal option. You can check that out again, politicsguys.com slash support. And one thing that helps us out enormously, and that is absolutely free, is you're spreading the word by sharing episodes on social media. It only takes a few seconds, and it is unquestionably the mess, the mess, the best sort of advertising. All right. All right. With that, Jay, you know, uh, I wanted to start us off by talking about something unprecedented, at least in the Trump administration so far, a, a veto override. Yes. Uh, the uh, Senate on Friday uh, overwhelmingly uh, over overrode. Uh, is that the is that overrode? Yeah. Over overridden, overrided. Um uh, but uh, it was written uh, over. Yes, essentially exactly. uh, uh, negated uh, uh, President Trump's veto of the uh, National Defense um, uh, Authorization Act uh, by a vote of 81 to 13, um, which is uh, that's that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big number. Um, this was, I think, expected. Um, I expected it. Uh, and I, I think I even predicted it. Um Although I think I think in fairness, what I what I I predicted was that he wouldn't bother to, to veto it in the first place, um, because it would get over overridden. Um, uh, but uh, here we are, and uh, th- that follows on the heels of a uh, House uh, vote, which was uh, even more overwhelming, uh, three twenty two to eighty seven. Um, so that that uh, is is sort of it, it's uh, Trump's. Uh, first time he's been uh, had a veto overridden. Uh, it will likely be the last time, um, uh, given just the timing of of where we are. Um, so I think that's that's significant in uh, a couple respects. One, it it sort of shows that uh, for a lot of folks who 
who uh, believed Trump could sort of declare himself emperor um, and and that uh, you'd have congressional Republicans follow in lockstep. Um, that this just doesn't didn't seem to pan out, um, particularly on on issues of, of defense authorization, which is, I think everyone uh, there's wide bipartisan. I'm doing it too, um, bipartisan um, uh, agreement that uh, the the bill in and of itself is necessary. The holdup, of course, was um, Trump wanted parts relating to um, uh, Section 230 of the Communications uh, Telecommunications Decency Act. Uh, which would have opened up um, uh, some uh, would have would have would have gotten rid of some liability protections uh, for for big tech uh, social media giants. Um, but uh, yeah, what and, and I guess that's sort of the, the, we we sort of put this in just as a kind of a footnote because it just happened. Uh, but yeah, what's what's your impression on this as far as well? One thing I, to play. One thing I note is that uh, in his four years in office, Donald Trump has vetoed nine pieces of legislation and uh, both uh, both George W. Bush and Barack Obama had 12 vetoes in twice the time that Trump was in office. Bush was overridden four times and Obama uh, just once. And it occurs to me that, that that's sort of a, a an indication, given the fact that Donald Trump has never had a Congress that was entirely of the opposite party, just kind of goes to show how incompetent at legislating, I think Donald Trump is, you know, the the fact that he's issued more of these vetoes. Now, I know another spin on it might be that, well, he's not a creature of the swamp or something like that. I don't think those things can are necessarily mutually exclusive. You can be an outsider and incompetent, as I, I think Donald Trump uh, certainly is. But uh, a couple other things I noticed is that the people who actually voted against the override, uh, there were actually some Democrats who, you know, Bernie Sanders was one and uh, Elizabeth Warren, Ed Markey. So but 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 of the of the Republicans, you know, there was, of course, uh, Lindsey. Well, Lindsey Graham didn't vote in yet another one of his profiles in Courage that he's you know, famous for. Uh, uh, Purdue and Loeffler didn't vote as well, or they weren't present to vote, which kind of, I guess, makes sense because they don't want to get the, the the wrath of the president. But yeah, I agree with you, just generally speaking, that the larger the larger message here is that Donald Trump really has never had that much legislative influence. He has more electoral influence than legislative influence, I think. And yeah. and so... Uh, That's a good, a good distinction to make. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, and the two the two are not unconnected, but, no. but there is a distinction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, not surprising to me either. You know, as he as he rails that you know, uh, like a like a Mad King Lear type sort of at the end of his at the end of his presidency about sad and weak Republican leadership, that sort of thing. It's almost sort of a fitting way for the the, the biggest loser to go out. Actually, I think. So. Low winds blow and crack your cheeks. There you right? go. Um, there you go. Very see the high culture guy right there. Yes. A... Um, well, you know, it surprised me a little bit when you just brought up the the numbers. Uh, I would have, I sort of would have expected going in if you'd asked me this question four years ago, uh, that the Trump veto numbers in and of itself, in and of themselves, would have been a lot higher, right? That that Trump as the autocrat would have would have been all about vetoing. Uh, you know, a- any piece of legislation that, uh, look, he thought a comma is out of place here, I'm going to veto it. Um, but, but yet didn't. So I, I think that's, that's, that's curious uh, to me. Now, now, again, I, I think there, there's a good point that, that look throughout most of this, um, all of this, you had Mitch McConnell kind of playing defense uh, so that the president didn't have to do that. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I, I just would have temperamentally you would have expected more vetoes from Trump. Yeah, and I agree. To, I agree with the point about McConnell certainly, and, and I guess to my point, what what I'm suggesting is that if if you have at least one one uh, chamber of Congress that is controlled by your party, the idea that uh, the fact that legislation yes. would get to your desk that you would need to veto suggests right. some sort of failure in the legislating process that you're not really doing necessarily right. your job. And I think that certainly seems to be the case with with Donald Trump. As uh, lo- looking back, while I'm sure there are a lot of Republicans who would say there are some things that they really liked about the Trump presidency. Uh, Again, were I still a conservative, I think I would see it in in many instances as a missed opportunity. You're here. Yes. So so so, and and yet and yet and here is sort of segues to our next story. Um, We have a uh, stimulus package that passed uh, before the holidays. Um, And uh, again, I'll I'll take credit because I said we'd have one. you did, uh, but but uh, not without some last minute drama uh, from the president. And and again, this is sort of last minute drama that is a little bit inexplicable. Um, and and uh, very much as as far as I think a lot of Republicans are concerned, self destructive. Um, the the uh, uh, package that uh, passed was approved by both houses. Houses uh, was approximately nine hundred billion, um, which is just shy of a trillion. Um, uh, and included, uh, most notably, uh, $600 uh, checks to uh, all adults and then to um, dependents, uh, you could uh, claim 600 Well, with dependents under 17 um, $600 uh, with a, a sliding reduction once you, most people, once you reach certain income um, limits, uh, $75,000 uh, filing single, singly, $150,000. Um, Following jointly on um, your taxes, so uh, and and at that point there was there was some real consternation, and we were off last week and and didn't deal with this um, regarding this, where the president, whose team had essentially helped with the Senate, right, in negotiating uh, this compromise, which is what we just talked about. This is this is as you would expect if you have one branch of the legislature. Uh, that your party controls, uh, you typically don't have to veto things because you sort of have some some say and some input in what gets through that house. Um, yet in this case, uh, Trump sort of negotiated the deal and and in, in Trumpian form, then sort of backed out and said, "No, I think a better deal," and, and demanded two thousand uh, dollar payments uh, per adults. Now his his proposal still would have had the six hundred uh, per kid. Um, uh, the that of course opened the door for Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats to uh, go and pass a uh, bill which would have two thousand dollars for uh, all the adults. The Cash Act, um, love the name. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and and hers actually, and I I just read this uh, the other day um, because it was one of those things. I think things were moving so quickly, and you know and you, nobody had read the bill and you had to realize what was in it. Um, the Democratic proposal also includes two thousand dollars per dependent, um, which uh, that's 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 big money. Um, so uh, at, at that point, now that's that brings us to to where we are um, with the uh, latest standoff, where this this bill has been moved to the Senate. Uh, Mitch McConnell has attached it uh, to some other provisions uh, in in other uh, bills, hoping that it would make it sort of a, a 
poison pill, right? That uh, Democrats would have to vote for other things in order to get this, uh, and that Republicans will will sit tight throughout. But um, I wanted to get get your thoughts first of all, and then then we'll talk about I think stimulus. Uh, you know, bigger picture is this. You know, does this work as a stimulus? Uh, does it not work as a stimulus? Um, but on how we got from sort of the president, well, I'm maybe I'm going to veto this, maybe I won't. Um, last minute uh, to to where we are now. Well, I mean, uh, from from all accounts, Lindsey Graham went, went golfing with the president and uh, gently talked him down. And, and I guess that's, you know, that that's a big part. But who knows what goes on in Donald Trump's mind? It's just one of those Rube Goldberg sort of devices. And, uh, you know, we, we got to that point because uh, I think we've gotten to this point because Donald Trump is, uh, like I said, incompetent legislatively. I think that's been demonstrated time and time again. And so that's that's seems to me that's, you know, Occam's razor. That's the simple sex explanation is Donald Trump doesn't know what in the hell he's doing legislatively. And there you go. I mean, I think that's, that, that's it. I mean, I guess, well, I guess it's almost almost too simplistic to think that way. But because to me, it's this is sort of this is. I mean, know, his own the, Treasury secretary was the person who negotiated this thing. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's the thing that that, you know, for anyone who is who has been involved in politics, worked in politics and, you know, sort of knows how the games play. This is this is a bizarre sort of like like your linebacker turning around and sacking your own quarterback. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Um, and I, I'm not sure what would be gained by it. And it's, it's not particularly an ideological point. Right. I mean, I think, um, I could almost, I could almost see it being the other way. Right. If you had a, a, a profligate, uh, Senate, right. Who's, who's saying, Hey, we're going to just keep passing money out. And, uh, the president saying, no, I'm drawing a line at X, you know, I'm not going to have, I'll veto anything that costs more than, uh, 900 billion or whatever the number would be. Um, I mean, I think that could, that could make sense that there would be sort of an ideological piece to it. Um, Trump's argument was, look, there's also a lot of other junk, uh, in the bill, which there was, um, which there is. Uh, and I think that that's a fair point to make. Um, but but again, that's you, you don't you don't deal with that at the veto stage. You deal with that at the negotiation stage. Um, so I, I think that's it's it's just, again, a, a strange sort of um, again, does no one here know how to play this game uh, sort sort of piece of it. Uh, and it also just as anybody would would realize it, it it puts uh, the Republicans at a, a tremendous political disadvantage, right? Because. You know, it's the argument of, well, we'll give you fourteen hundred bucks more. Yeah, um, sure. It, it's it's really it's people really like free money and, or free yeah, money in quotes. If you're, yeah. if you're a re- Republican, um, something you know or should know is that look, you're never going to outbid the other side. Um, you know, no matter how much money you were to authorize, uh, the other side will always say, um, "Yeah, but this is only this. This is only nine hundred billion. We wanted uh, three trillion." Um, you horrible, you terrible, heartless bastards. So I, I, again, Trump, this, this is sort of Trump's, um, you know, sort of a a middle finger, not just to, to the, the swamp, which is what a lot of people elected him to do. Um, but sort of to, to Republicans in general and and Republicans who, who stuck their neck out for him, uh, throughout this, um, these last four years. Um, so, but, but going to the, on the, the merits of, of, 
of the stimulus. I kind of want to get your thoughts, um, you know, between $2,000 per person and, and 600, I, I very much have, have some thoughts on this about how it actually works. And, and, and to some extent, almost I've, I've got sort of mixed, mixed thoughts, mixed feelings on it, but wanted to get, see where, see where you came down as, as a principled liberal. Um, uh, but uh, on, on, what what the stimulus ought to be uh, is six hundred enough? Uh, is two thousand too much? Uh, the correct number would have been zero, Jay. Wow! Because Good for you. <laughs> you need to think about what what we're doing with this money and the whole idea. Well, there are two grounds where the correct number is zero. Number one, if you're just looking at it from a heartless bastard, you know, just looking about the stimulating the economy. Don't worry about yeah. poor people or anything like that. Just economic growth. Well. There are plenty of economists, most economists, both on the left and the right, will tell you that what you're looking for is the greatest what's called multiplier effect. And the way to do that is not to give money to people who don't need it and who are going to largely put it into savings, which is, in fact, what a number of studies say you know, happened for people who were doing okay with the first stimulus. Yeah, my, you, my numbers, and just to put a point on that, because... Because, Mike, actually, I read up ahead more than I usually do. Uh, and the studies that I've seen said 80 percent saved uh, either saved the first stimulus or used it to pay down. Exactly. Debt. So um, that that has a very low multiplier effect. And so what you want to do is get the money to people who are going to spend it right away. And the people who most who are going to be most likely to spend all of that money are people who are unemployed and need to, you know, do things like buy groceries and, and you know, right. keep their kids in clothes and that sort of thing. So the, I say the correct number is zero, not because I am a heartless bastard, but because, number one, it have a greater stimulative effect on the economy. And number two, it would actually help out the people who most need to help. And so, you know, uh, uh, my wife and I, we got money from the first stimulus and we, you know, we're actually doing, you know, pretty okay. We took a little bit of a pay cut, but we're not in dire straits. And I heard stories about people saying, well, I donated my stimulus money. And I thought, well, wouldn't it have been better off if we just hadn't gotten that money to those people in the first place? So uh, I, I totally disagree with uh, with 2000. I, I disagree with 600. Zero would have been right and taking all that extra amount of money and putting it either into increased unemployment, either the, the dollar amount or an, ex, or an ex, uh, increased extension would have been the right way to go with that. So I'm, I'm disappointed all the way around with that part of it. Wow, you're, you're sounding like the, the, the Mike Baranowski I, I grew up with, the, the <laughs> guy I used to know um, until you got to the other. So, but I think, I think those are some, some great points because I'll, I'll say the same thing, especially, listen, with the... Under the Democrat proposal, uh, Democratic proposal right right now, uh, that if that would pass, um, me and and my family, I'd get ten grand, um, and much as I'd like, yeah, uh, ten grand, that's ten, nice, 10 sure. Grand. Um, do do I do I need it? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying. Uh, you know, again, I'm a. You know, Scrooge McDuck here, or or. Uh, uh, um, yeah, um, some other skin but, but, but no, I, I it's certainly uh, I've I'm not hurting, and there's others who are, and, and the you know there's a, a a really good good article, and I always point to the Wall Street Journal because I think they do great stuff. But on the economics of this, that you know, so often in a recession, um, the problem is a collapse in demand. Um, 
meaning people are not buying things as much because they're concerned about the future. So they're holding on to cash uh, or they've lost their job and, and, you know, have are either relying on savings at this point. So they're, they're, they're cutting back uh, or they just really don't have, have money to spend. Um, but again, some, some interesting numbers from the first stimulus and showing from where, where we are um, pre pandemic to now um, the current checking account balances for um, most most Americans is about fifty percent higher than it was pre um, pre COVID. Yeah. Um, now again, maybe that that some extent that reflects a cutting back, um, but but in this this you know recession, it's not a collapse in demand; it's larger a collapse in supply, right? Um, and the industries that have been hit hardest, restaurants, tourism, um, that sort of thing, um, say, you know, I, I get my 10 grand from the, um, from the government, uh, were I to say, woohoo, 10 grand, I think I'm going to go on a cruise. Well, I, I can't do that. Um, so uh, yeah, it, to, if, if the idea is to get money to the industries, uh, that have been hurt most, uh, it, it sort of, it, it fails. Um, uh, you know, so I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm surprised and heartened by, uh, <laughs> by your response. Um, you know, and I, and this also brought back, and this is just a bigger theoretical thing. Um, uh, the, this, um, uh, it was Greg Ip in the, the Wall Street Journal who calculated, look, if you, if you wanted to target the uh, lowest, um, uh, percent quartile sort of, uh, of folks who were really hurting in this and get them back to where they were pre pandemic. Uh, the people who have dropped into poverty because of, because of the pandemic, uh, his estimates, you could do that for about 1.5 billion. Um, which is again, uh, you know, <laughs> a little about, about 2% of the, of the stimulus that we just passed. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and there was also, you know, sort of some fascinating things that I that in my, my fringe of my memory from way back in the '90s, where you had conservatives who had argued that, you know, maybe one of the better ways to address poverty is is not through continuing uh, payments of, of of various you know redistributionist sort of um, uh, welfare earning income um, uh, tax break uh, that sort of thing. But but rather, if there were a way to get lump sums to to people who are really hurting, um, that might make a bigger difference. For example, allowing them to to pay down debt, to get a save some you know some sort of savings, to to have that chunk of change to go to school and, and get uh, get educated or trained to do something different. Um, and I just I just found that fascinating because again I. I and I was going to look up to try to see who had proposed these sort of things. Um, but it was like, it was like folks, you know, heritage type uh, people who were, who were making these, uh, these proposals kind of back in the, the early to mid nineties. Um, and I just I kind of wondered, I mean, your, your thoughts on, on that is, uh, you know, setting aside the stimulus itself is, is a lump sum approach to poverty, maybe something that we ought to look at in the future. I mean, I, I'm for, I'm, 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 I'm hitting you from like, like you didn't see that coming, but you know, no, I mean, I, I generally think that giving, 
giving people who uh, are in need, you know, getting get them off their feet and giving them money and letting them decide what to do with it is generally a, a pretty good idea as opposed to just sort of, you know, coordinating it off and saying you can spend it on this, that or the other or, or that kind of thing. And also it's, I think, more, it's going to be more effective because you cut out some of the, potentially you cut out some of the administrative costs and middle people and that sort of thing. So as a general idea, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I don't have a problem with it at all. What I have a problem with is, you know, giving money to people who don't need it. I have a problem with wasteful spending, as I think everyone should have. And I understand that to defend, I guess, to defend Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, I think where a lot of folks on the left are coming at this from is they're thinking this this might be our last sort of bite at this particular apple. And so is it better to have to, to get this money to people, even though there's going to it's going to a lot of it's going to go to people who don't need it, but at least some people are going to get some. Well, yeah. And also politically, this works out well for us, too, because people like free money. So I think right. that's and how I, they're approaching that. And I would say this is, you know, maybe a little bit of, of an irony here, but the people who, who don't need it uh, tend to vote more frequently. Well, yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's it. I mean, I, I think so often, um, uh, you know, so many programs that uh, people are, are sold as, oh, we're we're doing this to help the, you know, they're really the uh, the people who are really struggling um, are really pretty solid middle class uh, subsidies, because um, yeah. those are the people who who uh, vote most frequently and and uh, uh, pay attention to these things. So, um, uh, that that said. Um, you know, where do you think we go, uh, depending on what happens in uh, in Georgia? Do you, I mean, do you think do you think Senate Republicans uh, agree to a any sort of a two thousand uh, dollar? No, no, we're not no. going to see any more payments. No, I'm not like that. No, nope, I don't think we're going to see any more direct payments after this six hundred dollar thing. That's it. Okay, assuming assuming a a uh, double Democratic win in Georgia. Do you think uh, the uh, Democrats bring back this? No, nope, I, don't, I don't think so. I think more unemployment, uh, you know, expanding the unemployment, either the well, both perhaps the amount and the time period, because I believe in the current legislation, it's just 11, 11 weeks is what it is. And I think there's going to be a, a great need for after that. So I think probably the focus is going to be on getting it to be more than 300, probably pushing for that 600, which was the initial uh, in, in the initial CARES Act, and then also just expanding the extending the time a little bit. I actually expect that no matter what happens, we're going to see one more extension of the time period because 11 weeks from now, we're still going to have some pretty significant unemployment issues. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you on the the unemployment extension because that I think that's an easy vote for everybody, right? Yeah. Um, on on the the hey we're going to give you money. I mean I've actually seen things um, uh, coming from the other side of the aisle that that basically says hey you elect Democrats in Georgia you get two grand. <laughs> I mean, um, uh, and and you know that's that's the selling point that it comes it comes down to that that crass of of uh, look we will you know get rid of Mitch McConnell um, and two thousand bucks for each of you. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think if if the Democrats were to prevail, um, and 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 we'll talk about this later. I, I, I I'm I'm betting they're not. They won't. But um, I think there will be a lot of pressure to either revive this proposal or even come back with a well, if two thousand is good, why isn't three thousand better? Um, 
Well, I mean, I, I, I disagree. And, and also, I, I guess I'll, I'll disagree with the logic to a certain extent, because then by that same logic, if 3,000 is great, wouldn't 50,000 be better? Oh yeah, no, I, I'm not. I'm not subscribing to the logic by any means. Oh, well, no, I'm um, saying that. I'm saying I, that that's just not something that's going to be proposed. That, I mean, the politics I, of it. No, I, I think. I guess I disagree in the sense that I, I know that there are a few people on, say, the far left and some other people out there who think that yes, we should just give everyone whatever ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars, but that simply does not represent the mainstream of the Democratic Party. And I think that's where I, ta I take issue with you. I don't see Democrats saying two. No, I say three. Say four. How about five? Because that's just not going to happen. Okay. All right. Well, I, I respect that. And like you often say to me, I, I hope you're right. So moving on to our next story, uh, this is, again, sort of a, a, a good news, bad news uh, uh, type story of uh, after um, – uh, the vaccines now we're now at two vaccines approved uh, one uh, likely to be one more likely to approved shortly um, the president's goal had been that uh, 20 million people would be uh, vaccinated uh, before the end of the year um, and the numbers fell woefully short of that um, although the vaccines have been delivered there's a been a lag in the rollout um, in the states now the way this was set up was, uh, the federal government left the actual uh, rolling out of the vaccination, meaning who actually gets you know, their shots first and where they do it and how they do it, uh, to states to to administer. Uh, in some cases, some states have pushed that even lower down to local health departments. If, if here we're going to you know send it to the the locals to administer, um, and the result is you you've got this big patchwork. Um, where some states have done better than others. Uh, the, the last number that I saw, uh, Mike, was that the federal guess is that about 2.8 million people have been vaccinated. Um, now that that there's sort of an asterisk by that number in that uh, there may be a lag in reporting just because of, of the holidays and, and people not being at work and, and so forth. So it, it could be higher than that, likely is higher than that. Well, let's let's um, let's call it still well short. of. The yeah, goal. let's call it three million. But uh, going back to Donald Trump's promise, uh, he actually uh, late late in 2020 promised that there'd be 100 million vaccine doses manufactured by the end of 2020. Uh, and, uh, you know, we ended up with, I think, somewhere around 40 million doses manufactured. But, you know, that, that's not surprising because Donald Trump was all about overpromising. In fact, he said 100 million doses and likely a, a whole lot more than that, actually. And, you know, not surprising that that number was uh, was, you know, not, was wildly overinflated. Right. But but I mean, I guess the, to the other point that even if that that number had been correct, uh, the problem was is is less the. The, the number of doses and, and more just the actual yeah. administration. And see, that's the thing that really just annoys that really not annoys, but just depresses me in a way, because okay, earlier this year, health and human services provided states with $350 million for distribution related expenses. Uh, but the states said that they needed around 8 billion. Now they got that in the COVID legislation that was approved last week, but I feel like it's almost criminal that this wasn't approved earlier in the standalone bill because, you know, the money is great, certainly, and is important. But even if you just dumped $100 billion out of a 
freaking plane, you still need the time to build the infrastructure to get the people to distribute the vaccines. And everyone knew that. And the fact that both Democrats and Republicans did not act on that is just disgusting to me. Well, I think, I mean, although I, I guess, you know, you and I might differ as far as um, should the the vaccine rollout have been a I guess, I guess so what you you would have envisioned uh here's here's what, I'm, here's more, what I would have federal, envisioned more federal aid for the states but the states still actually doing the administration and yeah. figuring out who gets what when well I don't know about that I mean maybe okay. maybe not but certainly I think one thing we can almost everyone can agree on is everyone knew that state uh, local health departments were incredibly taxed just with responding to COVID. And they knew that they were going to have huge issues with scaling up to do the, the greatest logistical feat since World War II, certainly. And you can argue even greater in some instances with with no extra funding. And everyone knew that this was going to be necessary, regardless of the amount of uh, discretion freedom states would have to design their own programs. And so the fact that the president of the United States wasn't wasn't getting on his soapbox and demanding a standalone bill for state money for vaccine distributions by the uh, in, in the by late summer, I think yeah. is just insane, basically. And that I, I, I just I find that in just just disgusting. Like well, I said, in, in fairness, let me uh, let me ask this, though, if if the president had been saying uh, demanding money for uh, state vaccine distribution in the summer, uh, the press would would very much have have uh, ridiculed him, laughed at him, like like they did when he announced early on that listen, we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the year, and and various I don't think fact checking so. organizations said that's false. Um, and and there's 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 a wonderful um, sort of uh, you know video loop of of all the talking heads from all the the. Uh, um, networks, uh, you know, back Trump making statements back in, in the mid spring time period saying, listen, we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the year. And all of these, these people, most of them with, with medical degrees and, uh, better coiffed than Trump, um, you know, sort of just shaking their heads and chuckling of no, 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 that's absolutely impossible. And it's, you know, it's, it's a miracle. And this is just, so, I mean, I, look, I, I, Trump certainly over promises on a whole lot of things, but, um, I think that misses I think, the point. His, Jay. his ability to seek to seek more money um, before there was a, a vaccine, I don't think that would have gone anywhere. Oh, I think you're entirely wrong because uh, just as you said before in the last segment, Democrats love spending money, love giving money to states and so forth. So the idea that uh, everyone knew that there was going to be a vaccine and whether it was whether it happened in November, December, or March, everyone knew that was coming. And so the idea that the media would say, "Well, you know, certainly we don't want to give money." to states for vaccine distribution no i i disagree with that entirely mm. no i i say I, I, I yeah trump uh, the, the and democrats again it's love, but democrats the, love spending money but but they they love beating up donald but trump but the larger more. point jay is that donald trump didn't do it and so you can talk about well it would have well, been wrong enough. it would have been wrong for the media to have responded in the way that you think they theoretically would have responded but let's get out of you know, let's get out of uh, theoretical world and into the real world where Donald Trump simply did not make this a priority. And he is the person who, at least the president of the United States, is the person who has the greatest ability to move forward the legislative process if he knows what he's doing. And Donald Trump chose not to make that a priority. 
All right. I'll, I'll, I'll accept the argument that fair enough that there, there should be more federal funding um, to states to help with, with the rollout. But does, does the difference in, in different states, because some states are doing better than others, as, as best I can tell, Ohio has been doing fairly well. And I think a lot of that has to do less with necessarily our government and more with some of the big private sector uh, uh, institutions we have, for example, the Cleveland Clinic, University Hospitals, and the, the big hospital systems, um, who have uh, you know can can do things with sort of military efficiency, um, uh, and and maybe less you know. So and I you know the first wave obviously was was vaccinating healthcare workers. So when you have big hospital healthcare systems in place, uh, they have a good uh, a good mechanism to get get their people. Um, uh, vaccinated quickly, and and that becomes more and more difficult as you you expand out to people who are um, less centralized, right? You don't just you can't just say, hey, you know, stop into HR to get your your shot today. Um, but there's another issue, and and that is folks who are not wanting to get the vaccination. Um, the number I read uh, recently, again, this is Wall Street Journal reporting, is that 72 percent of certified nursing assistants uh, say they don't want to get the vac- the vaccine, um, and I think that's that's a, a different problem. But but you know if it's seventy two percent of of people who are frontline workers, um, and and you know so what what amount of money and and how does one deal with with that? Uh, part well, of the I would I mean I would expect that if if we're talking about you know private employers, certainly an employer can say that uh, you you will you will get this shot as a condition of employment. Well, I, I, I suppose they can, they can say that. Um, yeah. And I think they, you know, no, I, I'd say, look, they'd be, they'd be within their rights to say that. Yeah. Right. I, I, I don't think there's, um, there I mean, I'm just thinking legal- from, 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 in terms of legal liability, thinking that let's say that you have a, you have a parent in a long-term care facility uh, and uh, you, you find out that the people who are, the people who are caring for your your parent or for other person, most of them have decided not to get their shots, and then your that person gets COVID and dies. That boy, that sounds like a pretty pretty significant lawsuit just waiting to happen there. So I would think just for liability reasons that these uh, that these private organizations would want to make sure that happens. Sure, sure. Um, they'd also have the the liability issue on the other side. Right of uh, somebody gets vaccinated, they didn't want to get vaccinated. My employer made me, and they have some adverse reaction, or they have some action or reaction, or they have something else entirely different that they just got, um, you know, by happenstance that uh, they then blame on the vaccine. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I think it's it's a double edged sword for for those employers, um, and and that's why I'm I'm not crazy about the the blunt instrument of just saying you you will get this this done um but i'm 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 wondering you know why why is that number as high as as it is um can can some of this be be pointed blamed at the uh, democrats who early on said they wouldn't take a trump vaccine right now now they've they've certainly backed off from that but uh, kamala harris was was pretty vocal about that uh, as were other prominent democrats back in the summer that uh, look, they wouldn't uh, take a, a vaccine that had been rushed through, and uh, this was being rushed through, et cetera. Um, and, and now here we are with with seventy two percent of of nursing assistants, right? People who work in the the healthcare uh, uh, industry, 
who were declining to get vaccinated. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's that high across the board. Governor DeWine said in Ohio, I believe that 60 percent, uh, around 60 percent of people working in, in nursing homes uh, wouldn't want to take it. But the numbers are going to vary. But, yeah, I right. agree that and Ohio's that, better anyway. But, well, yeah. I, I would certainly agree that uh, the concerns that that the process was being politicized. And that, I think there's blame on, on both ends there because, you know, Donald Trump, uh, Donald, or, uh, Donald Trump or his chief of staff saying to the, uh, to the head of HSS, hey, either get this or FDA, either get this approved or uh, you're fired sort of thing. That certainly doesn't help out at all. So I think there's plenty of blame to go around about this. And it's not surprising. Yeah, but again, those, those statements were made. That was pretty late in the game after all the, the numbers were in and it was just down to a matter of days of, uh, look, can you approve this on Thursday? Or, I agree, but that's a distinction, Monday. but that's a distinction that's going to be lost in a lot of people because a lot of people aren't following this to the extent I'm saying just the general environment is that all of this is politicized. And of course there are plenty of people who still think that COVID is basically like the flu, except a tiny bit worse. You know, there are millions, tens of millions of people like that. You know, there are also a lot of folks who think that, well, since I've gotten COVID, I may not need the vaccine and we're not really sure about that so much. So, you know, I think there are a lot of reasons, but I agree with you that the general environment uh, of, of everything being politicized, about COVID, you know, uh, hurts uh, hurts the uptake uh, the uptake numbers for this. But without without seeing any sort of survey data on why people are doing this, I'm certainly not going to say, well, it's it's the, it's Nancy Pelosi's fault. Right now, now again, now this is I, I haven't seen any uh, data on this either, and and in part because look, it's this is all of this has happened in the last two weeks, right? And it's it's been over holidays and it's it's not as if uh uh big studies and in, in, in uh you know scientifically valid kind of uh surveys have been able to be conducted yet. Um uh but you know reading anecdotally what what you get is people are saying they're not taking it because well they're they're concerned, they're afraid. Yeah. Um you know so I, I think there's there's some of that that out there and that's that's unfortunate. Um uh, so I, anyway, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll leave that there. I guess what, what would you have any recommendations though? I mean, well, you how, know, how do we get more people vaccinated more quickly? Uh, one, one being, okay, we've, we've approved more money, uh, now to the States to do this. Um, you know, how, how do we, I think this well I think this was inevitable because of the scope of this and we've never done anything like this before that of course the uptake was going to be initially a lot slower than all of the very rosy I think some of the rosy projections about that so this really doesn't surprise me I I think that it would have been helpful had there been, if not a federal mandate, much clearer federal guidance, perhaps linked to or, or suggestions. And, you know, uh, if you want to go the mandate route, linking money to sort of uh, a method of of getting it out, because a lot of times, again, people hear various different messages. And so, you know, the Ohio or Kentucky or, you know, California health department might say something, but people are hearing stuff all over the place. And that's why oftentimes getting one message from somebody that you trust can be very helpful. The problem is, is there's number one, not one message because of the federal nature of this. And number two, there's not 
anyone that everyone really trusts on this, except for not even, I was going to say, uh, I mean, Dr. Fauci is sort of a saint, you know, a secular saint to a lot of folks on the left at this point, but there's nobody that we trust. And I think that's the biggest problem is, is that trust has just disintegrated over the last uh, 12 months, over the last four years, really. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's right. I think that's, that's a good point. Um, and, and I guess that's, you know, where, where I come back to that those, those are bigger issues that you can't necessarily just fix with money. Yeah, I know. And, um, and I got to say, my- I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that the money that there, there isn't an investment that needs to take place. Um, uh, again, to some extent, this is, is, you know, the vaccination efforts going to be outsourced to, um, the private sector, um, uh, you know, drugstore companies are going to be handling this. And, and I, I, I feel good about that. Right. I think there's going to be more efficiency there and, and, uh, than, than having just a, a purely government response. Um, I got to say, we'll, my, my, my concern on, on the worst case scenario here is that now we have this new far more infectious variant. And so far, there are only a few, you know, cases. And I think uh, Colorado and the Florida and California. But the fact that there are a few that we've detected suggests that there are probably going to be a lot more. And, sure. you know, you can you can kind of trace out a very negative scenario where this really starts to take hold. And there are still a lot of people who won't get the virus. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we look and we have half a million people dead from this thing in the next, you know, overall in, in the next few months. And that's just a, I hope that's entirely wrong, but it, you know, it's the kind of thing that wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me, sadly. Right. You, oh, you've been reading, you've been reading the Atlantic, right? But they, no, they had a big, they had a big piece on this. No, I um, didn't catch that. No, well, well, check, check it out. It's sort of the, the, the general idea of the, the new variant is, is the apocalypse. The real apocalypse is, is on the way. Um, but uh, I'm, well, I mean, I'm let's more, hope not. I'm right? more optimistic, and I, I really think um, uh, as this vaccine becomes more available, most well, and, and again, this is this is completely anecdotal. This is the Pauline Keel kind of uh, reasoning, but uh, everyone I've I've spoken to, uh, you know, is is ready to roll up their arm and and, and get the shot. So, um, you know, I, I think there's there's a whole lot of people who who will get vaccinated. Uh, and uh, we'll do so as, as as soon as it's available. So yeah. um, I'm I'm more optimistic on that. And I think I think also once we get through ha- doing anything um, during uh, the last two weeks of December is is tough. Sure. Um, uh, and doing it in a pandemic uh, is is even tougher. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, my my sense is we'll know more in the, in the next uh, week or two, and and in a couple of weeks you'll have a President Biden who will be able to, to straighten it all out anyway. Um, so moving. Uh, speaking of, moving, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of, yes. Moving, <laughs> well, maybe you will. Um, there was a a lawsuit filed. This is sort of the the last. Um, you know, well, people keep saying this, you know, the last gasp for Trump, but it's, it's sort of like, you know, in the horror movie, you know what I mean? That, that you think, you think the killer's dad, it just keeps popping up. Um, a, uh, uh, lawsuit by representative, uh, Gohmert, um, to, uh, essentially for, for lack of a better word, require, uh, uh, Mike Pence, who will be the presiding officer, uh, at the certification of the electoral college vote, uh, to, uh, not certify it. Um, this this is almost. I don't want to say almost. I will say is uh, certain to to fail. Um, 
uh, in the courts. And in fact, uh, I should to point out that uh, late we're recording this Saturday that actually uh, yesterday a, a judge, a Trump appointed judge, actually dismissed the case because uh, that uh, of, for all the all the faults in, in Gomert's uh, case, he actually we, uh, he we, sued we the wrong have, person. Like, so on the program, so we don't have yeah. I mean, yeah, and even even Mike in Mike Pence's response, he said, "How how are you suing me for this? It makes no sense." Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it was ridiculous for so many reasons because as as any reading of the Twelfth Amendment clearly indicates that uh, the vice president's role in this is ministerial. He opens up the envelopes and he says what they say, and this argument. That somehow you can read into the Constitution the vice president's right to or, or authority to pick whatever or, or deny whatever electors he wants is that's about the most unconservative thing. That just if you are oh, no, any no, kind yeah, of a conservative, I, 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 that, I think you and I could could not agree more on this on this issue. Um, I, I mean, yes, you got to say if that you had told the, if you had told the founding fathers. Um, uh, or, or someone had, had said to the father, fathers, well, so what, so what you mean here is the vice president gets to pick the president. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they, they would have, you know, shaken their, no, 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 you idiot. Um, uh, you know, the vice president, uh, vice presidency is, is sort of the, and the uh, thing that Jay, the thing is the least powerful, you know, position in, in the federal government. And the, the thing, the thing, powerful. Jay, is that, that Louis Gohmert knows this. I mean, he's an attorney. He's been a he's been a state judge. He knows this, and this is what I think makes him a despicable person. At least in this action, I won't say he might be might yeah. be nice to dogs and his family and that. But don't you find this disgusting as a conservative? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, absolutely. And and at the the as a conservative, the 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 trouble uh, the, the more pressing problem is is the. Um, uh, the precedent that it sets, yeah. right? And, and I think something else we're going to talk about in relation to this is uh, Senator uh, Josh Hawley's uh, statements about how he is going to object to um, the certification. Um, and and Hawley's rationale on, on this is that, uh, well, one, Democrats did it before, um, which they did in 2006 and, and in 2016. Um, and he sees this as a vehicle to raise uh, concerns about um, uh, election improprieties, about voting security and so forth. Um, <clears throat> so th that's troubling because, you know, we're getting to this, um, you know, will this now be the regular feature of every presidential election? You'll have the election, you'll have the electoral college vote, you'll have the legal challenges, and then you'll have the congressional objections saying this is uh, this is all fake. And and again, the the upshot is uh, it does damage to the system. Yeah, and um, it, it's... I think I think a much better better way to handle this. And and, and look, I've I've been on record for quite a while about I, I think there's a lot wrong. Um, in our election security uh, systems, and particularly vote by mail, uh, that there are a lot of big gaps there. Uh, I think it's it's perfectly legitimate to challenge some of the things that happened in this last election, um, where local election officials, uh, in some cases, seem to just simply defy a Supreme Court order. Um, all that all that said, uh, I mean. I don't think this is the place or the way to do it. Uh, I mean, the, the the better way is to, you know, you create some sort of subcommittee on on election security, and you bring in all these people, and you have them testify, and you you look at the numbers, and, um, but but challenging the the process uh, in and of itself 
um, particularly before you have all the information, uh, I think is irresponsible. Um, well, and you know, and, and, and that's, and that's because as I, I agree with, you know, like a lot of people, I read Ben Sass's uh, uh, Facebook, very long Facebook post about this. And as he pointed out, this isn't about the election. This is about fundraising and positioning because yeah, exactly. you know, Josh Hawley looks in the mirror and sees the next president of the United States. Right. And he's, he's trying to make that positioning. And so to me, the larger question here is, is the Republican party going forward, going to be the party of the Ben Sasses in the party or of the Josh Hollies, and I, I sure as hell hope it's the Ben Sasses, but I, I worry that it's the Hollies, and I think we're gonna we're gonna find out a, a lot about where the Republican Party is when we see those votes, because there yeah. is going to be a vote. As much as Mitch McConnell didn't want that to happen, and in that vote that happened in two thousand and five, when uh, uh, Stephanie Tubbs Jones from the House uh, challenged and Barbara Boxer joined her, the Senate voted that objection down seventy four to one. Now, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's going to be more than one vote uh, against that. And, of course, let's be clear on what a, what a no vote or what a, what a vote to uphold the objection means. It's essentially a vote to throw out those electors, to disenfranchise, yeah. literally disenfranchise, you know, millions and millions of people. And right. uh, uh, in, in 2005, one senator voted to do that. And so if Josh Hawley is serious about, well, this is just my way of raising this issue, then presumably he wouldn't necessarily want to disenfranchise millions of people. Well, presumably. Um, but I no, don't think that's going to be I the case. Think, I would think though, that the Josh, the Josh Hawleys of the world, though, see this as a free vote in that they know there's never going to be a majority, that, that this won't actually happen. Uh, uh, to throw these these votes out, uh, so they have the luxury of being able to sort of throw bombs and say, "I would, you know, I'm I'm going to do this," uh, knowing that that it won't have any consequences. Well, um, will it though? I, I mean, I that's, that's the question, I think that's, right? I think it's troubling for a, co a couple of respects. One is, yes, you're right; it won't have any consequences this time. Um, but you know, these things, you know, you pointed out in in 2005. Um, 2006, uh, it was a, uh, you know, two members, um, one member, uh, you know, now I, I think the, the, the numbers will, will, will multiply. And I think it, it could be an issue, um, in future elections and it, it sets a bad precedent. And, you know, to be clear, Mitch McConnell, who I, I've gone on record pretty clearly, he is, you know, how I feel, everyone knows how I, I feel know. about yeah. Mitch McConnell, but he does know how to play this game. And he wanted there to not be a Senate uh, objection to join the House for very good reason, because he felt that it could hurt the GOP's chances of sure. of expanding or of, of, you know, getting more seats in in the midterm elections. And so I tend to I tend to defer to Mitch McConnell's judgment on what is best for GOP Senate numbers, because that's his life. <laughs> right. That seems to be the only thing he maybe cares about, but he certainly cares about that. And so this to me is an example of Josh Hawley putting his own political ambitions above those of, you know, the, the Republic. And I, I know, sure, Ben Sass is positioning himself as well. He's been doing that for years as kind of the, you know, sensible, moderate sort of guy, kind of like a, a Mitt Romney for the new generation, I guess, if you will. And I, I'm okay with that because I think I would much rather have the Republican Party be directed by the Mitt Romneys and Ben Sasses than by the Josh Hollies and Mo Brooks's and Tommy Tubervilles. And yeah. I assume no, you I, would I, too. I think, yeah. I, the, I'll tell you the, the sense that, that I, I, I get, um, and again, this is not, you know, survey, this is not data. This is, 
um, th- this is this is anecdotal, but but you know that's what you pay me for. Um, is that Republicans I talk to, the biggest frustration I always hear is the why can't we be tougher? Why can't we have a backbone like the Democrats do? Um, why can't we play hardball? And and I think it it bodes ill uh because that's that's what Trump was selling and that's what Hawley is selling even more so um and and uh, Hawley I think there are a whole lot of reasons uh that to find him uh, objectionable for the the broader republican cause um there's a number of of you know incidents uh, I'm not going to go through them all um where uh some judicial nominees uh uh you know have their He's he's sort of pushed, uh, you know. Sometimes making the uh, uh, perfect the enemy of the good, and and uh, you know, sort of flummoxed, um, you know, the administration's efforts. Uh, and and this uh, this is true also on other legislative pieces, right? He uh, he has jumped in on the uh, we ought to give more money, the two thousand uh, dollars to everybody. Um, and and the, the the reasoning he he gives there as well. There's a lot of uh, bailouts and and uh, uh, pork for you know big companies or for states or for for other people who don't need it. So we might as well uh, <laughs> magnify the problem, I guess, yeah. by, by by throwing out more money. Um, so yeah, and that's that's sort of the the I think it's that's troubling is is you know you you doesn't have the the fiscal conservatism uh, anchor, um, and uh, it, it seems just to be all. Um, Oh, I guess I guess all hardball with but without a, a purpose, if you follow. Well, there's a purpose, and the purpose is to advance right, the career and election. power of yeah. Josh Hawley, yeah. Yeah. Right. But I'm no yes, no no broader no ideological I'm I'm, I'm doing this for the, the bigger cause. Yeah, whatever works. Of, yeah, of, exactly. Of economic liberty and freedom and all the kind of things that, that uh, you know, why I signed on to the party. Yeah, so. which is why I can yeah, I can even though I think he's wrong on so many things, I can uh and sometimes very wrong in almost a repugnant way, there, there's a certain amount of respect I can have for someone like a Rand Paul, who I recognize as being driven, at least in some part, by yeah. actual principles, you know, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to Josh Hawley, who just seems to, well, this is the bandwagon, I guess you should be jumping on, you know, and that just, I just find that just repulsive. Yeah. So, Jay, I know that there were a bunch of things we were hoping to get to today, and and while we won't, certainly we can get to them on the bonus show, like, for instance, the Georgia election. Uh, This will be our, our, just about our, I think our last chance, yeah, to talk about it before the election actually happens. And so we can talk about, we'll certainly be talking about that on our bonus show. And then there's also, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit maybe about modernizing Congress because as a lot of people might not know, the first thing that the new Congress does is it actually passes the rules that will govern it for the next couple of years. And there's an interesting sort of bipartisan list of recommendations that came out about that, uh, as well as the study that I found fascinating about what's sometimes called trickle-down economics. And maybe if we have time, some predictions for 20 2021. Now, that Georgia runoff election is actually going to be on the 
fifth, right? I am right. The fifth, yeah. Tuesday, the fifth. So this week, we're actually going to release our bonus show early. In fact, by the time you hear this, it should be released so that we people have a chance to listen to our discussion of the Georgia runoff elections, except, you know, before they actually happen, that might make uh, might make a certain amount of sense. So if you aren't a supporter and you would, well, if you are a supporter, that will be in your feed by the time you hear this. If you're not, again, just go to patreon.com slash politics guys and sign up. And again, uh, if you can't afford to, uh, just let me know, Mike at politicsguys.com, and I will get you all set up. And if you just generally got a question, comment, correction, gripe, manifesto, whatever for us, our email is mail at politicsguys.com. There's also our Facebook page, facebook.com slash politicsguys page, and we are also on Twitter at Politics Guys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sosnowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.